Welcome to Forward. Educate yourself on the new world. The podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance with your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Real chiropractic talk. No rainbows, no unicorns. Start putting in the work. The biggest names in the industry. The legends, the innovators, the up-and-comers. This is the podcast for progressive DCs. So buckle up. Passion is the feeling you have that you would probably do this for free and you can't believe somebody pays you to do it. Hello, everyone, and welcome to this episode of Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. As the announcer said, I am your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe. Today's guest is Dr. Christine Gertz, and Dr. Gertz is going to be honoring us with a presentation at Forward 2019, which is September 20th through the 22nd at Logan University. 2019, if you're wondering about the year, you can check out more about that event, which uh, also features Gray Cook, Brett Winchester, and many, many more. Uh, you can check that out at forwardthinkingchiro.com. Uh, and there's more information about continuing education credits and tickets and all that other stuff there. Uh, Dr. Gertz is uh, Chief Executive Officer of Spine Institute for Quality. She's also President of Christine Gertz, LLC, and then Adjunct Associate at the Department of Orthopedic Surgery, Duke University Medical Center. Uh, her resume is longer. The, the, it's, it's been an honor to interview people whose resumes are longer uh, than my entire life story, more, more or less. <laughs> Prior to joining Spine Institute for Quality, she was Vice Chancellor of Research and Health Policy at Palmer College of Chiropractic for 11 years. Her 25-year research career is focused on working with multidisciplinary teams to design and implement clinical and health services research studies designed to increase knowledge about the effectiveness and cost of complementary and integrative healthcare delivery. She has extensive experience in the administration of federal grants, both as a principal investigator and as a program of, uh, official at the National Institutes of Health. She has made a lot of money for research. She's received more than $30 million in federal funding as an investigator, primarily in NIH and the Department of Defense. Her areas of focus include the investigation of manual therapies for spine-related disorders and integrative health care for cardiovascular disease, which you, we will get to in this interview. Dr. Gertz serves on the Board of Governors for the Patient-Centered Outcomes Research Institute, where she has assumed numerous leadership roles and is a member of the NIH-NCCIH National Advisory Council. She also chairs the American Chiropractic Association's Committee on Quality Assurance and Accountability. She received her Doctor of Chiropractic degree from Northwestern Health Sciences University and her PhD in Health Services Research, Policy, and Administration from the University of Minnesota. Please enjoy this interview with Dr. Christine Gertz, which is brought to you by the American Chiropractic Association. Check them out at acatoday.org. Uh, and if you're not a member, I strongly encourage you to become a member of the American Chiropractic Association. Uh, let's make it our one association strong. Uh, we also have as sponsors uh, Pain Zone. So check out ipainzone.com for some free samples. They've got great products and they are here to serve us. They are not in some big box store or on some big giant website uh, selling out as, as it is. So they've got great products. Check out Pain Zone at ipainzone.com. Uh, Advanced Musculoskeletal Therapies inside our Forward Thinking Chiropractic Facebook group. We've had some discussion lately about shockwave therapy, and there is no one better to do it than the Miracle Wave. 
and advanced musculoskeletal therapies. So uh, check out uh, themiraclewave.com and uh, you will get all you need to know about shockwave therapy from that website. And last but not least, we are also sponsored by the Chiropractic Success Academy, csacircle.com. Uh, the, the Chiropractic Success Academy helps chiropractors make the income and the impact they deserve through uh, online tools and teaching to help its members be an industry leader. So check that out, csacircle.com. And that's about it. Let's enjoy this interview, and I will talk to you later at the end of the show for the Pain Zone Finish. Dun, dun, dun. Okay, everybody, welcome to Forward, the podcast of the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance. I am your host, Dr. Bobby Maybe, and my special guest today is Dr. Christine Gertz. Doc, your resume is too long for me to run down at the moment, but please the, don't. <laughs> <laughs> the shining, uh, the shining emblem at the top is being um, uh, uh, associated with the PCORI. Can you explain to some people what PCORI is? PCORI is the Patient Centered Outcomes Research Institute, and yeah. it is a nonprofit that was stood up as part of the. Affordable Care Act in order to promote comparative effectiveness research and and patient-centered um, inquiries. So really looking at what are the what are the health topics that are really important to patients and and how what happens when we compare you know two or more treatments against each other to see which um, which work best. I'd like to back up a little bit in one, and I wanted to ask you, how in the world did you get here to this point from a chiropractic student to a chiropractor and then to the vice chair of the PCORI? Well, it's taken a long time. <laughs> <laughs> I started chiropractic school in, in 1991, so I've had a lot of years to progress along this path, but I started chiropractic college because I was interested in, in how can we take care of patients without a focus on, on drugs and surgery. That has always been more where my, my own personal philosophy lied. And, and so I, I chose chiropractic for, for that reason. And, but pretty early on in, in my, my life as a student, I started thinking more and more about research and and became aware that a lot of the the things that I was learning in, in school adjust you know C six for this or or L four for that had not really been were not really supported by the literature and so I started hanging out in the research department at Northwestern Health Sciences University where where I was a student and. And learning more about what we knew about chiropractic, but probably more importantly, where the gaps were. And so, by the time I had graduated, um, I I realized that I really wanted to focus more on the research end of things. I I remember a friend of mine and her husband helped me get ready for my graduation party from chiropractic school and. And about a week later, she called me up and said, so what are you doing now that you're now that you've graduated? And I said, I don't want to tell you. And she said, no, really, what are you doing? And I said, 
I'm studying for the GRE. <laughs> so I was already <laughs> planning to planning to go to graduate school after that and ended up in the, a program that I was very excited about in, in health services research and policy at the University of Minnesota School of Public Health. And, and that's, that's where I ended up getting my, my PhD. And while I was, while I was a, a PhD student, I had the, the opportunity to interact with what was then the Office of Alternative Medicine. And I, I ended up meeting some of the, some of the, the program officials there. And, and when I, while, when I had about, when I started working on my thesis for my PhD, I contacted them about the possibility of a postdoctoral fellowship. And, and I was able to, I was able to, to get that award. And by the time I, I graduated, I was thinking more about the work that NIH was doing and, and they had an opening for a program officer. And, and so I applied and was fortunate enough to get that position. So my first, my first job out of, out of grad school was as a, a program officer at the National Center for Complementary and um, Integrative Health. Not shabby to get integrated so fast. I, mean, I know you think it took a long time, but that seems like a pretty pretty quick transition. Well, I, I think that's one of the things that that grad school can do for you is it gives you an opportunity to work with with a lot of other scientists and in my case policymakers. While I was a student, I was also I I was very involved in health policy, interested in health policy. And involved while I was in chiropractic school, I, I remember one time there was a there was a hearing at the state legislature on on access to chiropractic, and I, I put signs up all over the college that said tonight something will happen that impacts you, and and got a lot of students to end up attending that hearing, and and visited Washington D.C. as um, at one of the American Chiropractic Association annual meetings. And I, by the time I graduated, I was very involved with the Minnesota Chiropractic Association. So my interest in, in policy once I started grad school expanded from there and I ended up being a provider alternate to the Minnesota, Minnesota Healthcare Commission, which was interested in putting together a minimum um, benefit package for for all Minnesotans and and doing other healthcare reform work. This was in the mid '90s when the Clinton Healthcare Reform Act was being discussed, et cetera. So so it was a really exciting time to be involved in both research and health policy. So close. You gotta you gotta act faster, Clinton. <laughs> it, was, it was so close just didn't happen no at any point in your professional scientific career was there sort of an impetus to I wouldn't want to use the word abandon chiropractic but to you know there are a lot of researchers and scientists that it, it, they can easily once they start in chiropractic and move on in their research careers sort of leave that in the dust and move on to 
just general research or not being as, as much of an advocate for the chiropractic profession in general, did you see some of those, was that carrot dangled in front of you at any point or have you just always sort of loved chiropractic? Well, I've always been committed to really high quality evidence-based patient care. And, and so I think that has, has really kept me anchored in, in many ways to the chiropractic profession. But you have to remember that, that most, for most of my career, I actually was not at an institution that, that focused on chiropractic. Certainly NIH did not. Right. I had a very broad portfolio that covered chiropractic, but also acupuncture and all health services research. I had the cardiovascular disease portfolio. And then I, when I left the NIH, I, I began working for a nonprofit, the Samueli Institute, where the focus was on the study of non-pharmacological approaches for, for a variety of conditions, primarily in the military. So again, not a strong chiropractic focus. So my first job in chiropractic after getting my PhD was when I went to work for Palmer. So gotcha. I have always felt comfortable moving you know, within, I won't even call them different worlds, but I, I felt comfortable on having different focuses at, at different times in my career. Well, the foundation of, of quote unquote science should be, um, you should be able to carry that into different disciplines, correct? Policy might be different, but the science is still science no matter how you look at it. Well, the methods that you use are, there are a lot of similarities in, in the methods that you use, whether you're doing a clinical trial in chiropractic or acupuncture, but they all have their, their really unique challenges. And that's been, been a lot of fun for me, actually, to try to figure out how to best study various, you know, various you know, techniques or, or various you know, areas of care, whether it be chiropractic or something else. Yeah, what I catch from some researchers I talk to who are chiropractic specific, uh, maybe they work in, you know, we're, we're not trying to name names here, <laughs> but, uh, you know, they're, they're researchers at certain institutions in the chiropractic profession, and they try to advocate for research the best they can, but there are some quote unquote boneheads in the profession that they can't sort of penetrate. And, and some of those folks get frustrated and say, you know, I, I could have a research career somewhere else doing something. I don't have to do it for this profession. It, it gets frustrating for them. I, I think that anytime you're, you're in any, you know, it, you're in any field, you're, you're going to feel frustrated sometimes. And, and certainly I have felt frustrated many times, but, but I try to stay focused on on the big picture when I'm feeling like that. And and to me, that that big picture is we have you know with spine related disorders, we we don't often don't know what the underlying cause is. We we have treatments that um, kill more more people than than the underlying condition or disorder does. And and there are a lot of gaps in what we know and what we don't know um, as far as research goes. And there are a lot of gaps between what we know and what's actually implemented into health policy. And, and so I try to stay focused on, on that big picture. And, 
And my, I love chiropractors, but in a lot of ways, I would say my loyalty is to patients and, yeah. and trying to figure out what is the best possible way to, to treat them for, for spine-related disorders. And, and, and so that, that's what I stay focused on. Yeah, I I serve on a on my state board, and it's sometimes it's hard to explain to the chiropractors. They'll they'll come to a board meeting and say, "What are you doing for us?" And we say, "We're not doing anything for you. <laughs> we serve the public that we are protecting. We're actually literally sort of protecting the public from the bad actors." So uh, sometimes it's hard for them to understand that the the patients always come first. That's always my mantra. Um, as far as you've been described as being at the tip of the spear in chiropractic. What's what, what is the future? What do you see in the future holding for us? Well, I, I really feel like the future is in our hands and, and I, I'm not quite sure where, where that will take us. I, I think there has never been a better opportunity for chiropractic. I, I think that the fact that back pain is, the number one cause of, of disability worldwide, that it's something that, that we have particular expertise in, in treating, that, that the, the, the tools in, in the chiropractic tool bag seem to have as much evidence behind them as, as anything else that, that is used to treat spine-related conditions right now. I think that the opioid crisis has really brought home how much change is needed in this particular segment of, of healthcare delivery. So I, I think there are, I hear a lot more people talking about chiropractic and the possibility of, of better integrating chiropractic into multidisciplinary care into alternative payment models, et cetera. But, but with that opportunity, I think also comes some challenges. And I, I think the chiropractic profession really needs to decide what our, our priorities are and, and, and whether or not as a profession, we're willing to to make some of the changes that might be necessary to, to, to really maximize the, the potential. And for instance, looking at, at clinical care guidelines, looking at you know, contributing to clinical data registries, demonstrating the quality of the care that, that we provide, using language to describe what we're doing in a way that, that makes sense to to others outside the profession that, that others are able to, to resonate with. I think those things really have always mattered, but they, they matter a lot more now. And, and sometimes I, I feel like we're making great strides, you know, certainly as far as the evidence base goes, we have, but I also see people clinging to some, old beliefs or, or maybe even it's better, it'd be more accurate to say old fears that, um, that, that may get in our way. Yeah, it was one of the points I tried to make when I was speaking in Berlin at the World Federation of Chiropractic uh, Convention. 
was that uh, some of the profession would define this thing that we would see as a, as a worldwide epidemic of musculoskeletal pain and low back pain, that, that wanting to embrace being the masters of that subject matter and being the, the experts in that arena would be, you know, they define that as being a limited scope. <laughs> you know, uh, whenever uh, trying to embrace tackling a whole epidemic as limited, I, I, I don't understand that, but, <clears throat> you know, they use that as, as a, sort of the, the explanation factor for clinging to these old fears is like, well, if we just focus on musculoskeletal issues, we're going to limit ourselves to to what the possibilities are and uh and then there's another camp that says well we can get that we can get that into our bag and we could own that and then we could expand from there um well you're talking to a woman who yeah well you're talking to a woman who whose um phd thesis was a clinical trial looking at, at the impact of, of chiropractic spinal manipulation on, on for lowering blood pressure. <laughs> so right. I've always been really fascinated. And that's what I learned when I went to chiropractic school. I learned that, that chiropractic can be helpful for all, all kinds of things that go far beyond the, the musculoskeletal realm. But how, how I would think about it is looking at you know, from, from an evidence-based perspective, we have to look at what the data shows us. And we have a lot of data showing that, that chiropractic care, spinal manipulation works for, for low back pain, a, a little bit less data on headache and, and neck pain, but, but there is some, some data out there. But when, once you start getting, you know, further a field there's there's less and less data to support what we're doing and and so what what i would say is i i believe our best strategy the best strategy for chiropractic is to is to focus on on something that that we are talking about the number one cause of global disability for which there is no good conventional medical answer and so I personally feel like from a public health perspective, that's a really, we're, I'm honored that, that we can make such a difference in people's lives right. in, in ways that really matter by, uh, by focusing on spine-related disorders. That doesn't mean I'm not interested in what else might be possible, and, right. but I, I think that, that we need to, if, if we want to go out more in these, you know, these outer, outer, outer rings of, of what, what is, is thought or, or hope that chiropractic might be able to be helpful with, then we, we need to do that research. And it's going to need to be the chiropractic profession that comes up with those dollars to pay for that research because no one outside the chiropractic profession is going to come up with that funding. And we need to conduct that research using, you know, using, know top-notch investigators in 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 environments that that are are neutral and are, are where people can have a high degree of confidence in the result if it's negative or positive yeah that was going to be some of my next questioning was what what are we the boots on the ground the the 
the, the guys in the field and the ladies in the offices and all of that, what do we need to do as field practitioners to make this easier for, for the researchers and the policymakers? Well, there are, there's um, a couple of answers. One, one thing I would, I would say to, to make it easier for the policymakers is to take really good notes. <laughs> so it's, it's not very sexy, but it's it's definitely something that that matters. Uh, as far as research goes, I think contributing towards towards research efforts, making you know making donations to NCMIC Foundation or to Spine IQ's research efforts or to your chiropractic college um, and, and their research efforts. I think all of those things can, can make a difference. We don't, we don't have even begin to have enough money to, to do all of the, answer all of the questions out there that need to be answered about chiropractic care. And, and right now, the, the studies that I focus on are, are studies that, that I'm really interested and excited about but also the studies where I know I'm able to get funding. Yeah, uh, yeah. <clears throat> That's an interesting, interesting problem to have. Um, how does Spine IQ work into all of this? So first, we might want to tell everybody who's listening what Spine IQ is, and then how it sort of integrates into this system. Sure. So Spine IQ is a is a five hundred one c three nonprofit. And our, our mission is to define quality, demonstrate value, and build trust in, in spine care delivery. And we, we envision a world where, where people have access to the you know, most conservative, evidence-based care first before, um, before they, they pursue other other possibilities and and that though that care is is easy to find and and that there that there's there's you know suitable access to it both because they're able to find the providers because it's covered by their insurance because the um, primary care doctors are able to make appropriate referrals et cetera et cetera how does a, a a physician, a clinician, participate in Spine IQ? What do they do? Well, well there are, there are a number of ways to to participate. So we have we have three, well, four main efforts that are that are currently ongoing. the The first is is our research efforts. So I, I um, as the CEO of Spine IQ, I I remain involved in 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 several studies. I, Currently, I'm the co-PI of, of a study funded by the National Institutes of Health that's looking at dosing of chiropractic in, in the VA. And so we will be randomizing people to receive around five visits or around 10 visits over a 10-week period of time, and then we'll be re-randomizing them to either get one scheduled chiropractic visit a month or be discharged to usual care. And I've been excited about this project for a really long time. This idea of how many visits we we still don't know. If you right. ask payers how many visits, they'll tell you six. But if you you ask when Gallup asked people who had seen a chiropractor within the past year how many times they went, 
the average number was 11. And, and talking to some chiropractors that, that I know, I've learned that there, there are doctors who are converting patients to cash after six visits or five visits because they think that's what the, the payer is looking for. And, and so we really don't know, have very good information about, about to answer this question there. Mitch Haas and his colleagues did, did a study several years ago looking at dosing of chiropractic for low back pain. But there, I would argue that, that the, the um, methodology that they used, what they did is they had everybody go to the chiropractor 18 times, and then they varied how many times they got spinal manipulation. Uh, yeah. I, I think that's an interesting question, but I think it's a different question than how many times do I need to get in my car and drive to a chiropractor's office in order to get the best outcome? And it removes that context that chiropractic chiropractic is a profession, not just a procedure. So it's kind of conflating the two. It, it, uh, it is. And then the contextual effects of actually seeing a provider and having an interaction, even, even if spinal manipulation isn't involved. Exactly. Exactly. So, so definitely our, our research interests. And then in addition, we have um, SpineIQ has a clinical data registry. So you're able to use that clinical data registry in order to report for MIPS or, or, or MACRA, but basically this, the U.S.'s Centers for Medicare and, and Medicaid Quality Payment Program. And we are, we are working to integrate our clinical data registry with a number of electronic health record vendors that, that are commonly used by doctors of chiropractic that has ended up being a much more difficult thing to do than <laughs> we had originally, um, had originally thought. But the, we definitely have the registry now. There are, are not, you can enter the, the data by hand or, or you can download the data from your EHR and upload it into the registry. There, there are a number of ways to, to get the data in the registry. Why and, is that important, by the way? I, I don't think a lot of clinicians understand why MIPS and data reporting is important for them. By the way, these are also the same people that say, hey, what do we need to do in our lives to get legitimacy as a profession? But, but that's, my, <laughs> that's my own editorial comment there. Yes, well, I, I, um, I, I have to agree that, that the, the whole movement, there is a, you know, the whole entire healthcare delivery system is moving towards accountability and demonstrating that accountability in some um, way that, that is, is, is scalable and reproducible and, and cuts across all disciplines. And clinical data registries do that. They they help um, they help demonstrate the 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 value of, of the care that's that's being delivered, and and they can they can also help to learn more about you know the natural progression of of various diseases or disorders, and and they can help you do a better job as. As good as 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 you might be, Bobby, uh, as a clinician, and I, I, no doubt, excellent, it, right? <laughs> no doubt, excellent. It is. It, I still believe that there are probably ways that you could improve your practice. I don't doubt for a second. It, Absolutely, I think that's true for everybody. Yeah. And so the data that that you obtain from from performance measurement in a systematic way can be really valuable in helping you take 
better care of patients and you're able to benchmark that care again and your patient outcomes against what um, other the results that other clinicians are getting and I, I think that that sort of iterative feedback loop can be really helpful. Here's it, my concern, well, Dr. Gertz. Yes. My concern is that, yes, I am, I am probably, and the people that I try to associate with, very driven by those ideals. Like, I would want to improve my care as much as I could for the people that I see. I would want it to be, um, uh, I wouldn't use the word judged, but maybe um, stratified over, over cross-professionally and, and analyzed and uh, advice offered to me on how I can improve my delivery methods and my outcomes. There are other people in our profession, and not just our profession, but we are talking chiropractic here, that aren't compelled, they're not motivated by those factors. And actually, I, unless you can find a way to make it compulsory for people to improve their, their game, pick up their game, I just don't see that they're ever going to do it. And I don't know if that's just a small percentage or uh, you have a larger perspective. You might say as a whole, we're doing much better than we've ever done before. Um, but for my people, these, this small group of people that refuse to change no matter what from their ideological beliefs, they seem to put a, a bad taste in the mouth of the professionals that they associate, that they, that they are colleagues with. Well, I, I, I think it's time to stop arguing and, and just focus on, on you as an individual doing the right thing. And, and that's, that, is the next that leads us to the the next area of focus for spine IQ. So we I talked earlier about part of our our mission being to define quality. And yeah. so we've started a a quality recognition program for doctors of chiropractic. And and you cannot you cannot pay to be part of our quality recognition program. It's not for sale. It 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 there are quality metrics that, that we've developed. And if you meet those quality metrics, you will be, we will recognize you at, at that level. And, and if you don't, well, we hope you'll, you'll consider, you know, finding, you know, trying harder, you know, and trying <laughs> to figure out, you know, how you can. And so we have three different levels of, of recognition. And the first is our, our bronze level recognition. And what we've done is we have, we developed two quality metrics using publicly available data. So our first quality metric was, is that you have submitted data to the CMS quality payment program and are listed on the physician compare website for, for doing so. And, and then the sec, second quality metric that we have for bronze level is whether or not you're listed in health grades and with at least five raters and have a, a health grade of 4.5 or above. So I consider those in, in a lot of ways to be very low hanging fruit because, right. but, but they, I, I think that that helps differentiate chiropractors who, who are, really committed to evidence-based care and who are trying to do the right thing versus people who are, are less focused on, on that. So it's an it's a initial way to 
for patients and for primary care physicians and insurers and others to begin to try to differentiate between those chiropractors who are, are more data-driven and more evidence-based using, using data. That's great. How can clinicians get involved with Spine IQ? Is there, is well, there a way to on-ramp them? Absolutely. Well, the first thing that you should do is is go on our our website. It's www.spineiq.org and look under um, patient resources and it it will take you right to a map of the United States. And you can go to your state and click on your state and then search by zip code, search by your zip code and see if you've been designated as as a at the bronze level or not to see if you've already been picked out or not. Right, because and we are just now starting to notify people <laughs> that they have been that they've been designated as bronze, but we're this is a, a really a, a new program and so we we have not we have not yet begun that that process. And then there then our our next level of quality is is silver and so there there are some people that you know they're they're are very you know, com- evidence-based committed chiropractors, but for whatever reason, they they don't meet our 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 bronze criteria. But that's fine because you're actually able to to um, we we can recognize you at the silver level if you meet two criteria. And the first criteria is that you're participating in our patient satisfaction data collection program. So. We now have a program where we're able to collect your patient satisfaction data directly from the patient. So we give you a a flyer that you can pass out to the patients. It it provides them with instructions. They they text a a code to a a pre-specified phone number and they get a hyperlink to our, the CAPS patient satisfaction survey as well as a couple of additional questions that we've asked about their current pain level and, and what their perceived level of improvement is since they started seeing the chiropractor. And it takes them about three minutes to fill out the survey. They can either do it on their computer or they can do it online. And so, and, and because we're a nonprofit and we're really invested in helping both patients and doctors, we are the, the cost for participating in this program is really the cost that that for us to administer the program, but it's $25 a month or $250 for a year. And so doctors who are participating in, in our patient satisfaction data collection program then can, um, can qualify for silver status if they if they have at least 15 patients that we've collected data on, and if they allow us to post that data on, on our website. And what we will create a mini webpage that, that has your picture and a little bit about your practice and a link to your website, and then a list of the chiropractic techniques that you use, along with a hyperlink to the the Christine Gertz mini review of the literature on those on those techniques, a, a list of the payers that you have contracts with, along with with hyperlinks to any publicly available information about what their that contract is with for chiropractic, 
and then we would we would post your a um, charts and graphs with your patient satisfaction data on on as well. That's pretty epic. You're going to get about a billion data points at some point in time. I know. I'm really excited about that. You know, that's one of the things that I'm I'm most excited about. Spine IQ is is someday the 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 database that we're going to accrue on on things that that I think really matter to to patients and to to care delivery. So it looks and, like Silver is a way for people to participate, even if they don't see Medicare patients and report to Medicare. Exactly. Okay. It's a, it's it's a way that that everyone can and and you can sign up for our patient satisfaction data collection program and we'll send you quarterly reports letting you know, you know, what your what your data looks like and you can choose to do that before you apply for for participation in in the recognition program. So Seems you, like you kind of want to do that so that you can get your 15 patient uh, reviews and then and then go from there, yeah. Ab absolutely. So so you absolutely get to see your data before we before we post it. So you so you have you have con complete control. like oh man, I'm not very good. Maybe I should yeah. keep my name off this list and come back later. <laughs> right. Well, it, it and the nice thing about the CAP survey is that it it divides satisfaction into categories that have to do with how well did you listen to, to me, how knowledgeable did you seem about the, uh, my condition, you know, what is your overall rating, what, did, what do patients think of your front desk staff. So you, you really get a, a review of, of, how, of the patient's perspective in, in a lot of areas that really matter. And and then obviously there's a gold, yeah. Yeah, the gold is that you are contributing data to our clinical data registry, and that you allow us to post the permits from at least two benchmarks on on the website in the same way that we do the patient satisfaction. But Dr. Gertz, how does this help me make more money as a doctor? I just don't understand how this gets more patients in the door for me. Oh, money. You care about money. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, we, we believe... That's a great part about having a podcast. You can play devil's advocate any direction it's you want. True. It's true. Yes. Well, as, as I've learned from um, running a nonprofit, which crazily enough also requires money. Yeah, <laughs> right. Oh, don't even get me started. <laughs> to, to move forward. I... I I, I understand that that's a concern for a lot of, lot of many doctors of chiropractic and justifiably so. This is your passion, but it's also how you feed your children and you should be able to do both. And so we, we are focused on, on also having Spine IQ serve as a resource for patients and, and a, a resource that they can trust and, and educating them about about you know non-pharmacological approaches to spine care and what doctors of chiropractic have to offer and how they why they might want to think about the quality metrics that they're using when they choose a doctor of chiropractic. You're good. You know how to answer questions. <laughs> well, the, I I have been this is this is my passion and in the end that's what that's what really matters. And Spine IQ started because 
Senator Harkin's office called me about five, about six or seven years ago and said, I need a good chiropractor in Old Town Alexandria. Who would you recommend? And I realized, you know, I'm really, I know a lot of people in the profession and I'm scrambling around trying to find a good one. And it just made me realize if it's this hard for me, how hard is it for everybody else? And so Spine IQ really started with the whole idea of how do you find a good one? And it's something that I'm really passionate about. Yeah, and the different metrics for how somebody would define good. I mean, obviously, you've covered a lot of the angles there with with the survey itself, the listening component, the front desk component, the care component, and the results component. Um, so, th- so that should help tremendously. Well, and and it's and we will continue to refine that. You know, we've defined oh, yeah. quality in a way. You know based on limitations of, you know, what information is publicly available, what information are we able to, to collect in a, in a fairly straightforward way. But, but as technology, it becomes more sophisticated as people get more used to this type of, of data collection and, and using that data to improve practice and to, and to describe, you know, practice outcomes, I think, we will continue to expand how our quality measures over time. Yeah. In some ways we are kindred, we're kindred spirits in the way that uh, we, we both have had an idea for a thing <laughs> that mm-hmm. we could, that we thought could make the profession or the professionals better. And you almost have to invent it from scratch. So you lay down the scaffolding, you create spine IQ or you create the forward thinking chiropractic Alliance but there really isn't any answers for what direction that should go or how it should look or best practices for how to pull it off. <clears throat> you just kind of yeah. go and you do it and then you add a piece here and a piece there. Then you realize you, you talk to a guy like me and realize there's got to be an outward facing component for the patients. And then, uh, and I talk to somebody like a John Morrison who understands marketing and, and branding and he'll tell me something that I never even thought of because I don't think that way. And, uh, and, and being a male, like a lot of males, I'm colorblind, so I don't understand the colors of my website actually matter. <laughs> and, um, and you just keep learning. So I, I, I fully believe that Spine IQ is only going to grow because as, as it expands, you're going to expand in your understanding and your, your delivery of it. And it'll just well, get getting better and better. No, you're right. And we already have. So Spine IQ actually started out primarily as a, a clinical data registry. And, and then we just realized that we're just way ahead of the market. <laughs> you know, people, yeah. just, chiropractors were not the technology to, to easily transfer data from electronic health records to, to a clinical data registry was, was not as robust as we had, had hoped and, and were originally, were originally told. And, and so just trying to, we're, you know, while we're waiting for that technology to, to catch up, we really, we started thinking about, well, what are, what are some other ways to start working towards this, this goal that are more accessible? And that's how we came up with the patient satisfaction data collection. And then, and then we originally had thought about using URAC or NCQA or, or someone, you know, some larger entity to recognize chiropractic. But then we realized, you know what, we, we know as much as anybody about chiropractic 
And so we can develop our own quality metrics. Perfect. Yeah, you're totally uh, Marty McFly at the prom and Back to the Future playing a guitar solo with your teeth and the kids just weren't ready for that yet. No, yep. not quite. But their kids will be and, and you'll set the foundation. I, I um, think that that's true. Speaking of setting the foundation, we are going to have you at Forward 2019. It's in September at Logan University. The theme is Rise Up because we want people to rise up and take action and get excited about this profession and what the future portends for them. Uh, do you have any, any sort of teasers about what you might talk about while you're there? I am really excited. Thank you for the invitation. I, I, I'm really excited to, to be attending this particular um, conference and, and to, to speak. I am going to be talking about evidence-based chiropractic and, and you know, basically building, building the case for why chiropractic um, should be included as, as part of the American College of Physician guideline for low back pain and, and how it is included. I think people will love that. You know, um, I, I have, you know, we have uh, the, the menu of speakers there is pretty diverse. Um, from Brett Winchester, you know, we have a lot of different representations from different sides of the evidence-based field, which the young doc, the young chiropractors and students might not understand that the, even the evidence-based side of chiropractic is not one cohesive unit that moves through the fog together. There's a bunch of different families and fields coming from it. So we have like Brett Winchester from Motion Palpation Institute and from his own Gestalt education programs. Uh, he's a chiropractor for the St. Louis Cardinals. Uh, Annie O'Connor is a physical therapist who wrote an amazing book, A World of Hurt. It's about how to classify pain uh, from mostly a McKinsey perspective. Uh, Gray Cook is going to be there. I mean, there are so many, but what I really wanted to put you on the stage for in prime time was not just to to highlight those topics, but to have somebody. Uh, how do you say it? With I needed somebody to show the women in the audience that a woman can be intelligent, powerful, and impactful. Does that make sense? It does. Well, you know, sometimes it it's just you to be a token, do you? <laughs> Obviously, Annie O'Connor and you are not tokens. You are uh, trophies that we should we should be very proud of to have associated with our professions. Um, but we, I needed women up there, and women just don't seem to volunteer for these things. Well, I'm lo I'm looking forward to the day when when people don't even notice that that be great. There is is a woman on the stage because it's it's become so common. That'd but, be great but we are not quite there yet. And so I do appreciate your, your focus on that. And it is incredibly important for women chiropractors to have an opportunity to, to listen to um, women that have been in the profession for a long time and, and to, you know, who are willing to, to share that the knowledge that's been, that that's been, you know, so, sometimes gain through, through difficult situations. <laughs> Are you saying there've been difficult situations as a woman? <laughs> you know, I did a, I don't, I did a blog post for the American Chiropractic Association about a year and a half ago called DC Me Too. <laughs> so <laughs> oh, no. I, I encourage people to, to go on the ACA website and um, take a, 
take a look at that or I can send you a hyperlink if you want to if you want to post it somewhere so that people can can read that but it, it I I wrote it and and when I after it was published somebody said to me well you know all of this stuff Christine well this all this all happened to you a really long time ago right and I said well actually <laughs> the first story that I I the first story that I told happened to me about two weeks ago <laughs> and oh actually is, is what provided the motivation for me to write the article to begin with. Yeah. We have a forward thinking chiropractic women only group and, and some of the, some of the things that the women bring up in there. Um, um, and you might ask me how I know, well, I'm the admin. So, but I don't, I don't involve myself. I just, I'm there. Um, and some of the things that the, the women go through on a daily basis to be professionals is, uh, it's nothing that I've ever experienced before. I couldn't imagine it. I couldn't imagine, uh, somebody coming into, to solicit business to my office and saying, no, I don't want to talk to you. Where's the boss? Like, right. I am the boss. Like, no, no, no. You're a woman. Where's the boss? And I'm like, oh my goodness. No, it, it still, it still happens. The the fortunate thing here with Forward Nineteen was, uh, as you mentioned, like um, I didn't I didn't have to hunt to find the people I wanted who just happened to be female. Like there wasn't this like okay I need two females who's going to fit sort of mm-hmm. thing. It was like you guys were easily on the list and at the top of the list and it wasn't difficult at all. And I have a list now. Unfortunately, what I will say is that the the amount of females on the list is less than I would like. So I'm trying to spread my list of females out over years. So hopefully we have forward events for the years coming. Um, but uh, I, I feel like I did not have to put gender into my decision making. You guys just popped up because obviously you're quite talented and, and your resume speaks for itself. Um, but 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 it, but it's it's an it's an interesting challenge because yes, the the further along you get in your career, it seems like we see less and less females interacting. Well, I, I think that because there were very few women in, in leadership roles, for instance, yeah. when, I, when I graduated almost, almost 30 years ago, that you know, primarily all of the, the people in leadership positions were, were men. At, at that point, I don't know if there had ever been a, you know, a woman on, on the board of the American Chiropractic Association or Board of Governors or or, you know, not, not very few in, in the States or, you know, the national board or the FCLB, it was, it was really all, all primarily, you know, older white men, you know, were the, yep. were the ones that, that ran the profession when, when I graduated. And, and I've seen, obviously that is beginning to, to change. I think there, as we see more and more women, you know, students, more women graduates, but, it is even you know today we 've made women have made so much progress in in the workplace in in general in in a lot of ways, but women are are there was just an article you know not too long ago, I think it was either in the Washington Post or the New York Times about the fact that women still do you know the majority of of the housework even even when you know both men and and women work similar hours so so there, it's it's an issue, you know, not only in chiropractic, but I think in in general that that still that still needs some work. Yeah, culture culture is definitely in flux, and 
know, this conversation because I'm talking to a female chiropractor doesn't exclude the, the uh, inclusion conversations we need to have about other, other folks like uh, racial minorities and, and people with different gender preferences and things like that. I mean, everybody needs to be included on their merits. And if anybody ever put me to that test, I've been like that. I've, I've stood for that my whole life, but um, you know, all you can do is just sort of, encourage and, and empower people and then let the let them show what they have inside of them regardless of what's on the outside exactly and hopefully uh it seems like we're going we're getting better and better at every day so we we have cause to be hopeful we just have to not be uh, lazy about it well i think having the conversation you know is a really good place to start I, you know a lot of the women chiropractors i know that they, they have to put on a shield they've got to be tougher than the men like they've got to be iron when they're working um, and, and almost show no compassion. It seems like sometimes when I, when I've had experience with, with uh, chiro- female chiropractors with more experience in the field and, uh, and it, it, it it's like uh, it's almost like the, the compassion gets erased from them. The ones that survive, you know what I mean? <laughs> and, and I, I don't think that that is what makes a lot of female practitioners powerful. The, the power is, is the amount of compassion they have for their patients, the amount of care that they can um, deliver to people because that's culturally where women have made their strong points is taking care of the tribe and being culturally uh, empathetic and compassionate towards, towards people and humans and children and, people who are suffering and things like that. So when I see an, uh, a more experienced female chiropractor who is just, she's just been run through the ringer and now she's just hard as nails. It's like, okay, that came from experience. It came from having to deal with the world. Uh, you weren't made like that. That bums me out a little bit. Well, but I'm going to push back a little bit and, and just say, you know, that, you know, it, a man who was, equally tough you you wouldn't you probably wouldn't describe him as as hard as nails right no totally and i wouldn't be like oh what a bummer that would be like the (laughs) expectation right right that that's exactly right so um so i just i'm not afraid of my biases you push back as much as you want i challenge you to think about that just just challenge the host when when i was i don't know how old was i maybe 25 or maybe 30 my mom gave me a book just for the title, which I still have, and it was called Bitches and Abdicators. <laughs> yeah, so it's, you, had to, you had to choose early on which one, which one you're going to be. And, and, and I, do, I do think that, that women who are, you know, who, who are, are, are tough either, you know, because that's how they're wired or, or because circumstances, yeah. uh, you know, brought that about that they are looked at differently than 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 men who are are tough i i think about that with you know i with um amy Pl- politics all the time yeah. yeah that's exactly right that just in general that the women candidates are there have been a number of articles about how women candidates for president are, are treated differently than than male candidates and and I, and I I don't think that's unique to to politics. I I think that that's that's something that that you see across professions. And and again, having the conversations is is a really good step first step toward towards changing that. But but you know I I'm 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 shocked at you know on on some hand on one hand how much progress has been made 
in, in, in my lifetime, but at the same time with just how much work there, there is to, to be done, to be, you know, respectful and inclusive in, in, um, in all dimensions, not, not just from a perspective, you know, a man, woman. Oh yeah, no, totally. Gender, you know, doesn't, you know, doesn't even, you know, we need to even be thinking about that more inclusively than, than certainly we did when I was growing up. It's like we, uh, we took a, a dive into the ocean. We're like, all right, we're diving pretty deep. Look at us. Look at us swimming down. And oh, <laughs> going. <laughs> there is more diving to do. But I think conversations like this uh, and professional conversations, it is what the profession is sort of missing is this coming to the table and everybody breaking bread, having real conversations and not being able to and not being afraid of uh, addressing touchy subjects and being able to respond to them. Uh, respectfully and professionally that's kind of what the profession's missing you know if we wanted to come together we should all talk about what we agree upon more than what we disagree upon Um, and I just feel like if we could agree that the patients come first above anything else that would be the first step to getting us so farther much further down in that ocean that we've decided to dive in called progress. Well I think for us to come together on what that it means to say that the patient comes first. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's probably also, <laughs> probably also pretty important. Um, definitions and semantics. That is the art of this profession. I always make a joke like physical therapists are great at taking other people's therapies, <laughs> calling them their own. And we're really great at taking other people's language and making it our own. Well, we, we, like to, we like to take existing words and come up with new definitions for yeah. them. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, I can, we can do a whole nother podcast on that one. I've been thinking about that a lot lately. So, um, but we won't on this one. Maybe we'll have you come back. Sure. I'd love to. Um, we need to do a little bit more promoting of you being on the stage at forward 2019. We'll probably do that in other venues in other formats. I am super excited to meet you in person, but I've already said that before. It's going to be an honor to shake your hand and, and meet you in person. Uh, you've done so much um, for not just for this profession, but just for the direction of whatever the label is, alternative, conservative, complementary healthcare, whatever it is, you, you, you've helped bridge a gap between the world that is not that and the world that is that and trying to make sense of it. So I really appreciate that. And I want to do as much as I can to support Spine IQ and make sure that it gets off the ground as a successful endeavor. Well, thank you, Bobby. I really appreciate that a, a great deal. And I look forward to meeting you in, in person also. It helps that you're brilliant and nice at the same time. Um, that makes it makes me want to uh, jump through rings of fire for you. <laughs> <laughs> well, definitely, I will keep that in mind. All right. Uh, take care. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is Dr. Christine Gertz. Uh, She is the tip of the spear of the profession, as you'd speak, obviously doing great work uh, for our profession in places where it's needed the most. Um, I hope you do come out and see Dr. Gertz and all the others that will be at Forward 2019, September 20th through the 22nd at Logan University. Check out all the information for that at forwardthinkingchiro.com. Speaking of that website, forwardthinkingchiro.com, it has a memberships feature that includes a membership map 
that is not as vetted as the Spine IQ map that you just learned about, uh, but is for members of our community, the Forward Thinking Chiropractic Alliance community. There's a members only section with this great forum that, that we just started uh, that has conversations from community members and pretty in-depth advice uh, for members only. Uh, that's a pretty good little treat. And on that uh, members only page, I am also putting up a a uh, sponsors, um, what would you call it? A sponsors uh, sheet, a sponsors landing page so that you can find out all the great deals that our sponsors have for our members only. Uh, any sweet deals that they have going on at the time will be put up in that members only area. And one of our sponsors that we will be sure to highlight in that area is Pain Zone, sponsor of this Pain Zone finish. Dun, dun, dun. So don't forget to check out ipainzone.com and check out all the great products that they're offering for you to deliver top-notch quality care to your patients and quality products as well. Uh, they will not, your patients won't be also trying to buy these products at Walmart, which will beat you to the bottom dollar every time, my friends. So uh, that's it for our pain zone finish. I hope you enjoy the interview with Dr. Gertz. She is stellar and I look forward to meeting her in person in September and you should too. So talk to you later and I'll see you in September. <laughs>